The various opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests, contributors, and participants of the Behind the Warrior podcast are their own and are intended for informational purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, viewpoints, or policies of the EOD Warrior Foundation or its employees and volunteers. Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. This is Maria Shabla, and welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Lee Cundiff, former Air Force EOD tech and volunteer with Bomb Techs Without Borders. Welcome to the podcast, Lee. Hey, thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so welcome. So, Lee, you are joining us today with a very specific purpose, and that is to put out the word that the Ukraine still needs help and that the war is still going on. I remember when the war first started, seeing Ukrainian flags everywhere and local businesses fundraising to support the Ukraine, and now not so much. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest issue with that is that when it came out of the limelight from media, mainstream media, everyone shifted focus and nobody is really talking about it anymore. And I think the biggest concern in that aspect is that when the Western world stops caring about what's happening in Ukraine, then potentially the funding might start to diminish also. And we don't want to see the tides of the war change just because of our lack of interest, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely it does. And we're very excited to help to get this important message out and spread awareness of the work that Bomb Techs Without Borders is doing, not only in the Ukraine, but globally. Um, But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up and and how did you end up becoming an EOD tech? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. And during my senior year of high school, I knew I was planning on joining the military. Um, being that, you know, typical overconfident, invincible teenager, <laughs> I joined, I joined EOD just because I thought it sounded awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's a good reason. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically when I was that age, everything I would do was based on you know, whether or not I thought it sounded awesome. Um, I'm I'm so glad I did though, um, because over the years, as I started to, you know, grow, uh, the job transformed into so much more than that because I view EOD now as like solely a humanitarian mission, even for active duty folks, because for the most part, bombs don't discriminate. You know, at the end of the day, Disarming a bomb is always the right choice. There's no moral ambiguity there. So that internal motivation for me is what drove me to be the best I could be at my job when I was still active duty, as well as maintain that presence in, like, as the main factor in why I decided to go to Ukraine in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so you went straight in as EOD? when you enlisted yes yeah right off the right off the rip wow and and so can you give us some highlights about your your time in in the air force i mean 
I think one of the things that I got really lucky in being able to experience was not being channeled into only being at one or two bases, especially stateside. So I had the opportunity to be stationed in California for a couple of years, but then jump all the way over to Korea for a year and then PCS over to Italy for a few years and then back to Florida where I finished up my active duty career. Um, so being able to travel globally, not even counting, you know, deployments being stationed overseas, I think was just really an exciting opportunity to become so aware that, you know, the U S is such a small piece in this puzzle. Right. And, uh, yeah, being able to travel and experience so many different things, um, I think was definitely the highlight of my career was, you know, just seeing all these different mission sets and being able to travel and experience all those different countries. Yeah, that is a great point. I mean, that's that's one of the the perks of, of a military career is just getting your eyes open to um, different cultures and, and travel, and that that's really neat. Um, yep. Now... Now, for listeners who are not familiar with Bomb Techs Without Borders, what is their mission, and can you tell us about how they got started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the mission of Bomb Techs Without Borders, oh, and um, I may refer to it as BTWAB during this. Okay. So if you hear me say, yeah, if you hear me say BTWAB, I'm talking about Bomb Techs Without Borders. Um, <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> and it's to ultimately drive the number of casualties from landmines and other explosive remnants of war down to zero. Um, I do this by using innovative methods and technologies to conduct safety and risk education, uh, raise awareness and build clearance capacities, you know, across multiple domains. Um, the team got started by a group of army vets a few years back who wanted to basically just use their military experience for good to share what's been learned and experienced by them with people that desperately need this education and skill sets. Mm -hmm. Interesting that it was army that started it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it was two army EOD cats. Wow. And, and when did they, when did they get together and, and start all this? It was recently. Yeah, it was just a few years ago. Yeah, a few years back. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so do you know how many volunteers they currently have? Yep, there's there's currently um, about 25 volunteers. Mm -hmm. Most are the support and logistics elements um, stateside, but there were four of us that have been in Ukraine, and there's three currently there still. Okay. Um, and where, where are they based out of? Um, the organization started in the Bay Area of California, mm -hmm. uh, now out of Seattle with volunteers all over the country, though. And, I mean, with some being in the Ukraine, I guess you could say, right. the world. Right. Yeah. Um, and so before we kind of get into talking about your, your time in the Ukraine, um, mm -hmm. is the Ukraine the only country that they're serving right now, or, or are there other areas? Yeah, right now... We're currently focused on the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So we have plans to grow our volunteer team there. In the future, though, we also want to support work in other countries where landmines are a daily hazard as well, of course. Mm -hmm. 
So this is it's very exciting because it's a it's a new uh, organization and you know there's there's so much good that you guys can do um, in the world. So I'm I'm very excited to have you have you on this this podcast just to create an awareness um, and. I guess um, we can switch into your time in Ukraine um, and your mission um, where you worked as a volunteer for Bomb Techs Without Borders. Um, can you tell us about your time over there and what was a day in the life like? And uh, you know, what were your responsibilities or your objectives and how were you able to make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to remember all of this. Okay, and I'll <laughs> remind you. <laughs> all right, so... Um, so yeah, I went there as a volunteer under a three-month time constraint due to visa requirements and making sure that I would come back to my family within a reasonable time. Um, so because of that, I wanted to maximize my contributions to the country while I was there. So I would basically work in week to two-week increments going from city to city, networking and building partnerships and most importantly finding work mm. i was yeah i was there for a large portion of it with my friend and um, btwab partner john culp and we worked really well together in providing tons of different styles of eod work while we were there like across so many different mission sets i mean the russian forces when they left the kiev area back in march we went to Kiev and spent a lot of time clearing battle sites and residential areas in places like Bucha and Mostamel and Irpin, where the Russian forces had occupied. And um, once we felt satisfied there, we went to Kharkiv together to work with CESU and police EOD on post-blast analysis and mine clearances. Um, we spent a few weeks teaching police in Jitomer and in Kiev on explosive ordnance reconnaissance, EOR. Um, we basically did our best to avoid being canalized into one mission and instead tried to maximize our efforts across the country. I think for the relatively short time I was there, uh, that we did a pretty successful job at you know <laughs> busting our tails in that aspect of just trying to diversify our skill sets across the country. Yeah. Wow. That that's very interesting. So and and you had to to look for work. So um what was that like? So there's there's work to be done, of course, mm -hmm. but when you go there as a volunteer, as a civilian, you you have to you have to network and you have to be able to showcase what you provide to the fight, what you bring to the table mm -hmm. and be really, really eager to demonstrate your capabilities so that you can build that sort of rapport and trust with these actual Ukrainian entities. Mm -hmm. Just like if, just like if there was a conflict here in the States and a random French civilian showed up, you know, they, they wouldn't be <laughs> They wouldn't be able to be just intermingled right away. They have to actually have a purpose there. There has to be, you know, the juice has to be worth the squeeze for us in that instance. So the same with the Ukrainians. So 
it, it was a lot of networking and a lot of work to demonstrate that we are here to help and that we can help in these aspects. And once we got that ball rolling, mm-hmm. um, once we once we built a good friendship with the the commander of Ukrainian police EOD, mm-hmm. um, he was really able to hook us up on helping us build ties wherever we went, whatever oblast, which is basically the Ukrainian states, whichever oblast we went to, um, to kind of have that partnership already built. So yeah, really thankful for that as well. I I love it that you use the word friendship, that you had to (laughs) build friendship. I I love it that you chose that instead of rapport. It's just, you know, it's so (laughs) human. Um, And, you know, kind of, Along those lines, um, can you tell us about what what you saw of the Ukrainian culture and kind of what they're like? And yeah, the the culture is like nothing I had ever experienced before, and I can say that you know, with this wide scope of having traveled to and been in so many different countries, mm-hmm. um, that. You know, I didn't see any, I didn't hear anyone honk a horn at someone else. I didn't see anyone getting any fights. Everybody is completely unified and that, that collective rallying together and the, the immense pride that they have in their own nation is just so unlike anything I've ever seen in an incredible way. Um, I feel honestly just really lucky to be able to be able to witness that firsthand to be able to see that experience happening you know people continuing to do their best living their lives peacefully in you know western cities like Lviv um, and Jatomir and Ivano-Frankivsk with tons of art and culture and music and food and um, yeah it's it really really just is uh, an incredible country over there that with and it's because of the people you know it's because of the civilians there wow and seeing that you came back with with kind of a passion that you wanted to help help their country and uh, I think that's wonderful um, we had talked earlier and you had mentioned that you had hosted a zoom uh, briefing to EOD techs that lasted four mm-hmm. hours about your time in the Ukraine um, and yeah. also that there's a video you posted from the Ukraine that had gone viral so as an EOD tech, can you tell us a story that you think your fellow techs might find interesting? Yeah. Um, well, with that, I I do want to say for the techs that are listening that I'm really thankful that I was able to get a large portion of current EOD techs from all branches, including international EOD forces together to discuss plainly and openly my experiences with Ukraine. Um, Aside from the humanitarian aspect of going there for myself, I also found it extremely important to go there as a representative for the EOD community, which is why I had that Zoom briefing. Um, Many things we had been training for in the community were old Soviet ordinance and enemy TTPs that we all kind of knew were outdated. So sharing this firsthand experience with current real world threats, to the community I thought was imperative. And 
I'm seriously so thankful that the community also saw the importance in this information, that thirst for knowledge, which is why there were hundreds of people on that Zoom chat. It was, it was great. Um, the, the video, <laughs> so a couple of videos I had sent to just friends were, of course, forwarded to their friends, etc. so on down the line. And somehow it found its way onto social media. And um, I've posted those videos myself now that I'm back, but this happened while I was still over there. So it's pretty interesting that one of the Kurdistan Facebook pages, who, as we all know, have been also fighting for their independence, um, shared a video of me just diffusing a projectile with some like explosions going off in the background. Oh my goodness. And it was- and it went viral and racked up over 5 million views, which is crazy to me. Wow. Um, I don't have a strong social media presence. So, but yeah, my only wish though is that if everyone who watched that video just chipped in $1 to support Ukraine, the impact it would have would be amazing. You know, instead of just sitting and watching a video and sharing and then not doing anything, like mm-hmm. if every $1, it would be incredible you know yeah um what was that last question oh something i found interesting right yeah yeah a story that you you think an eotech might like to hear yeah so i think what they might like to hear would probably be one that resonates with me the most to this day you know um you know you can look back on all the different styles of EOD work and the quantity of different types of EOD work. But I think the one that resonates with me was working with the SBU EOD, which is the Ukrainian's version of the SABTs, the Special Agent Bomb Techs, with their War Crimes Division in Kharkiv. Um, because, I mean, post-blast analysis and evidence collection isn't as sexy as hand jamming bombs and landmines. Mm -hmm. But I personally found that to be so extremely important because it's that kind of mission that has a long lasting international impact, you know, not only with turning the tide of the war, but for holding those Russian forces accountable for their war crimes. So you can, you can disarm as many projectiles and landmines and stuff as you want but at the end of the day that scope is relatively smaller if you're not also doing that post-blast and war crime analysis to hold the enemy accountable if that makes sense so that's why i think that that's the most important or most interesting and the most resonating with me Mm -hmm. very interesting um and you mentioned earlier working alongside several different agencies to include the Ukrainian police and the state of emergency services of Ukraine. Um, can you tell us about those partnerships or, or friendships, as you called it earlier, um, and, and how is it working along, alongside of them? Yeah, absolutely. I know I've, I've probably, I think I've dropped a couple of those names, but I think it'd probably be good to clear it up for people that haven't heard those acronyms or entities. Please. So... Yeah, absolutely. So just like in the States, there's many different entities of EOD, and it's the same with Ukraine. There's there's military EOD, but most of them are task-saturated right now out on the front lines as soldiers at the moment. Um, there's also a pretty cool department 
of their government called the State of Emergency Services of Ukraine, um, which is we sometimes refer to as SESU. It's essentially a uniformed branch of EOD with Seaburn, fire, EMTs, etc. Um, the police are confined to their own oblasts. I remember like those states, but SESU is this national organization. So, I mean, honestly, it's something that I almost wish the U.S. would adopt. I think it's a pretty excellent idea. Um, they work hand in hand with the police EOD for priorities of work on what areas need to be cleared of bombs and landmines and explosive remnants of war. Um, and then there's the SBU, EOD forces, um, which is the their kind of uh, their FBI, and they're taking care of a lot of the ballistic and cruise missiles and their post blasts, as well as they're the ones doing that war crime analysis as well. Well, that is so interesting, um, and it's nice to hear that they they're all working together, you know, with the same goal. Um, I was I was just kind of thinking you you had several deployments in your Air Force career and then as an EOD tech. So can you tell us about what was maybe the same or different about your time um, in the Air Force versus your time in the Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, excuse me. I would have to say that almost nothing was the same. <laughs> Almost nothing. Yeah, it's like you you were doing the same job, but it's like completely different. Yeah, uh-huh. completely different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, there, it, there's it was like nothing I'd ever experienced. What, and um, and the way that they they handle explosives, um, is that completely different too? By they, do you mean like the Ukrainian EOD? Yes, yes, yes. That's what I mean. I. So they, not really, they, they handle, they, they prioritize um, their responses and how they handle responses in a cognitive way. Um, it's not necessarily exactly the same that we do it. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, different, different names for the same thing, basically. Um, but they are definitely squared away. Um where we saw little potentials for improvement, we voiced them and we also learned a ton. I thought that that was a really, really cool aspect is that we were able to, um, you know, go and basically just share knowledge with each other because when, when I first, when I first got there, it was, you know, right after the invasion kicked off, but man, this is only, this is round two of that invasion. Mm-hmm. These guys have, fighting this war since 2014 and they are seasoned um the the eod techs that the police eod techs even they rotate they have been rotating for the past eight years out of the donbass just getting tons of eod experience so these guys are squared away when it comes to eod knowledge of russian ordinance so wow. that was pretty awesome yeah but for me operating um the difference would definitely have to be that i you know you have to you have to feel comfortable operating with limited gear 
um, which is basically the gear that you brought. And there's there's not a packing list or anything. Uh, there's open source TOs. Um, I don't know what a, I don't know what a TO is. Uh, technical orders, like the the publications, basically the things that we rely on very heavily to do our job mm-hmm. is once you identify the piece of ordinance, you're able to use a database to search that ordinance, and it will tell you all of the hazards, um, the appearances of it, and how to render that device safe and how to dispose of it. I didn't get any of that because I'm a civilian now. So it was only open source TOs, which basically only gives like nomenclature. And then you basically just have to lean on your own experiences and expertise to complete whatever mission is in front of you. Wow. So basically taking, like you can't go there if you aren't, a confident and competent team leader um, because you you have very little to go off of aside from your own experiences and your own personal skill sets. Um, but I think the biggest difference is in this one compared to previous actual military deployments is pretty clear. Um, in Ukraine, you don't have air superiority. It's a completely different type of war than the ones that we've seen in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan over the past couple of decades because you can be the most elite soldier in the most elite unit on the battlefield and then just get targeted by a drone or a forward observer. Um, your entire squad's position bombed by an aircraft and just blown to pieces. Oh my and goodness. Just like that, like bang, your story's over. Like, there's, there's nothing that you can do about that when you don't have air superiority. Um, we only hear about Russian losses, but I mean, they estimate around 300 Ukrainian soldiers are being killed every day to put in perspective you know, just how violent this war is on both sides. I mean, basically what we've been talking for 30 minutes. Yeah, basically five to seven have been killed since we started this discussion. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really serious. I mean, that on top of the almost constant bombings and shellings of the cities, the major cities that you're living in, it makes you have to have kind of a completely different mindset than previous deployments and experiences. You know, that once you cross that border into Ukraine, especially as an international volunteer, you have a target on your back and you aren't safe again until you leave that country. So those are definitely the biggest differences between the military deployments versus this trip to Ukraine. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I I was looking at the Bomb Techs Without Borders website and their Facebook page um, and yeah. saw that they just posted this week that in partnership with the National Police of Ukraine, they were pleased to announce the publication of version one of the manual of basic identification of ammunition in Ukraine. And that was a combination of their own documentation, police documentation, and as you mentioned before, open source research uh, contributed to the production of that ID guide. Um, And this was a national um, police of Ukraine EOD project. There's also a link where individuals can download the document. Can you tell us why this is so important? Yeah, definitely. Um, This is a great example of some of the work that BTWAB is doing other than direct assistance. I mean, the first step that 
any EOD type does on a response is you positively ID the munition in question. And each munition has unique situations and hazards, and they can't all be handled exactly the same as others. So this is a guide to be used by Ukrainians to identify the devices. In particular, the police officers and other first responders are often the first personnel that come in contact with these unexploded ordnance or UXOs, um, either during their no normal duties or in response to a call by the citizens. Um, this guide helps keep them safe and allows them to provide better information for the follow-on EOD response units. So BTOB's making this and future versions publicly available so that anyone living or working in areas with UXOs has this tool that they can use to at least identify the hazards that they may find. Wow, that that's amazing. Um, and so important. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to um, kind of throw out a, a totally different subject here, um, but you shared with me that there was a, a dog, a bomb dog named uh, Patron. Can you tell us about Patron? <laughs> yeah, Patron is amazing. He's this adorable little Jack Russell Terrier who serves as a bomb-sniffing dog for Sesu, who we had talked about earlier. Um, yeah, BTOB actually awarded Patron and his handler with a pure silver BTOB challenge coin <laughs> for their partnership and amazing. Yep, and of course they they got a couple pictures with him too. <laughs> I think you mentioned something about a potograph. Oh yeah, yeah, they got the potograph. Um, <laughs> I don't know who. I don't know. I don't know who has this potograph currently. But um, if I can get my paws on it, I would definitely friend. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I, I have been lucky enough to to see a picture of him, and he is absolutely adorable. I will definitely post that picture with this podcast. Um, did you actually get a chance to work with him, or what was your interaction? Unfortunately, that partnership was beginning at the end of May as I was almost out the door. So I was able to begin working with Sesu and tour Sesu's building and start linking up with the EOD partners there and start building that relationship. But then I had to go back. So I'm happy that I got to kind of do the bump and set and then... Um, some of the other guys, after I took off, they spiked it and managed to <laughs> actually meet that pup. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so I, one day, one day I hope to meet him, but yeah, he's definitely a good boy. That's awesome. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we got this opportunity to, to talk with you, Lee. And, um, for someone inspired by your story that wants to support bomb techs without borders, either as an EOD tech um, and volunteer on the front line or through financial support or to promote awareness, where do they need to go to apply, donate, or buy a t-shirt? For sure, for sure. Um, that's a really great question. Um, BTOB's work is only possible through the volunteers. And I think this kind of work is great for EOD techs, both past and present, to put their knowledge and experience to great use for an even greater cause. The, the website or Facebook page is a great place to start. 
um, at btwab.org, or you can just search bomb techs on Facebook and it'll pop right up. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the biggest thing that I think people can do is maintain some sort of cognitive presence on the conflict happening because you know, it still is very much so happening. The Russian forces have taken all of the Luhansk Oblast and are now focused on Donetsk with supporting axis of advance around Kharkiv and Mykolaiv and Zaporizhia. It's a constant and very difficult battle for the Ukrainians. Um, they have the fight in them internalized, you know, the will to defend their country against invaders, but you know, they need weapons and ammo and first aid kits, and they definitely need EOD support. They, what they need is the world to continue rallying for them. I know what we talked about earlier, the media doesn't air what's happening anymore, um, certainly not as often, which caused people to just lose interest. And, you know, I think it was actually that, was that that, Johnny Depp divorce or whatever that was about. I don't know that, that court oh, case. Was, yeah. I was like, what is he talking about? Now I know, I know. I that know. divorce. Yeah. I don't know. I missed out on it, but I came back and it was all the rage and it kind of flipped the script and took everyone's attention off of the reality of the world. And it kind of never came back after that. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, speaking of mainstream media, I'm, I went to Ukraine with an open mindset to, Help this, just help the civilians that plainly needed it. You know, it's clear as day that the civilians needed help. Um, but knowing that the media on both sides many times embellishes and over-exaggerates, and man, I was blown away when I got there seeing the reality of this war because it's a country that just wants to be free and sovereign. And they are so unified for their freedom collectively against this invading Russian force. You know, I didn't see, I didn't see any racism. I didn't see any anti-Semitism or anything else that that Russian propaganda claims. What I saw was a genocide being committed against Ukraine, you know, and I, yeah, and I don't use that term lightly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, they're, we know that they're indiscriminately shelling civilian areas, which I mean, while it shows an extreme disregard for human life, that isn't necessarily genocide. But I believe what makes it a genocide is the methodical targeting of Ukrainian civilians, you know, killing women and children and booby trapping their bodies, putting grenades under little girls' mattresses and just really horrible stuff. You know, they're they're holding them. They're holding them captive, burning their passports and giving them Russian ones in occupied territories. They're switching to currency, the, the, the Ukrainian currency over to Russian rubles. They're hoisting statues of Lenin. They're raising the USSR flag. It's a disaster. So deliberately eliminating the Ukrainian civilians and the Ukrainian culture is why I truly believe that this constitutes a genocide and you know that's why i truly believe that anyone that can help should do their best to no matter how small of a contribution and that's why even though i'm back from it it's still one of the things that weighs so heavily on my mind is because i saw it firsthand 
So yeah, I think that any any amount of contribution, no matter how small, is really imperative. Well, I, I appreciate you so much, like I said, being on this podcast and sharing your experience and um, just trying to create that awareness that the war is not over um, and that we can make a difference, you know, and, and like you said, even if it's just a dollar donation, um, it helps. So um, Bomb Tech's Without Borders mission is so noble and it's making a huge difference in the Ukraine um, and to the Ukrainian people, but they still need our help. I think that's the message that we want to get out. And I hope that this podcast interview with you, Lee, will serve to create awareness of your efforts and, and hopefully recruit some volunteers and potential donors. And I just want to thank you so much uh, for all you have done and can continue to do to support the Ukraine. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. So, yeah. Thank You're you welcome. so much. You're welcome. So uh, we have a tradition on Behind the Warrior to end every interview with a couple of questions about your favorite things. Uh-oh. <laughs> so my first question is, what is your favorite thing about the Ukraine? Mm, okay, so there's a lot to love. Um, like I had said, the, the art and the culture, the music, the food, the landscape in itself. I'm from the Midwest and it is totally the midwest like it looks exactly like ohio and indiana and you know illinois it's absolutely this landscape so it feels like home oh wow and, i mean that my favorite thing is definitely the people there i mean everyone i talked to was so hospitable so warm and welcoming they were so friendly and thankful for any help that they could get i mean all of that, along with their absolute focus on their freedom, it really is so incredible to me and inspirational seeing the country band so tightly together to fight, you know, what is seriously just a classic good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the people. Wow. Um, what is your favorite Ukrainian food? <laughs> oh, man. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, so... Of course, um, borscht is definitely top tier. It's like the famous Ukrainian soup made from beets. It's, it's red. Um, that was salo, which is like this bacon. Um, <laughs> I don't know. My favorite would probably have to be their sirniki, mm. which are like these little cream cheese pancakes that taste seriously so amazing, especially <laughs> with strawberries or raspberries on top. Oh, so good. And also... Oh, no, man. Yeah. So kind of like, you know how we have, we have this Mexican, you know, we have Mexican food on every corner here in the States. Mm-hmm. Super popular. They do the same thing, but with Georgian food, the country Georgia, it's everywhere. And that stuff is also just to die for. They have uh, this thing called hachapuri, which is like this big overstuffed cheesy bread with eggs and spices and oh man I literally craved it to this day (laughs) (laughs) yum that sounds delicious Um, I literally the closest Georgian restaurant to me and the closest was in New York City (laughs) wow are you gonna make a trip I might have to or just (laughs) yeah something is gonna have to give you (laughs) (laughs) okay my last question I know you have young children what is your favorite Sesame Street character? Ooh. Okay. 
I mean, I feel like with how I answered that last question, my favorite should probably be the Cookie Monster. But <laughs> <laughs> hold on, let me think about, let me think about that. You got Elmo. You got you got Big Bird. I'm uh, yeah. I'm going with the I'm going with the count. The count. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna have to go with the count. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, hold on. First of all, he's able to control lightning, right? Like, like what other Sesame Street character has actual powers? You wow. Know? Yeah, he like shoots light out of his head. <laughs> That's amazing. I must have missed that episode. <laughs> oh, it's in so many episodes. Just brings the lightning and thunder. Um, plus, yeah, plus he gets super excited to just sit around and impulsively count, <laughs> you know, just count stuff. <laughs> just, just really, really jazzes him up, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, well good to know, Lee. <laughs> I mean, I'm others on there with that kind of hobby is there yeah I you're can't. making me want to watch sesame street now right <laughs> <laughs> do you agree now do you sounds the best which one's which one would you say top set well the the interview is not on me um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but but thank you again lee so much for having you it's yeah, been an absolute pleasure um and we wish you the very best um are you planning to go back to the ukraine it's one of those things that I, of course, feel that nagging that I'm sure every EOD tech still feels themselves. Um, mm -hmm. I think it all just sort of depends on where the war goes, um, where my own personal life goes, if I'm able to snag a month just to jam out there. I, it, it really, there, there's so many situations that, that, that come into play with being a father and going to school full time. And, um, I, I know that assisting them in any way that I can while I'm here, I think still like mentally lets me be able to sleep at night, mm -hmm. like showing them committed to the cause. Um, but I definitely can't say yes or no to whether or not I'll be back in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. However, I definitely, can't take it off of the table yeah yeah understood well thank you again and our thoughts and prayers are with the ukraine um and anyone who's listening um i hope if you are compelled that that we can all come together and support uh this organization and and the country and thanks again lee absolutely thank you again so much for having me on thank you for listening to our behind the warrior podcast this series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.